Who's opening? Should we just open like that this episode? Hello, what? welcome. Who's opening? <laughs> yeah. Um, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Dolphin for Murder, the true crime podcast with the girls, gays, days, and anyone who wants to bloody listen, except for straight white men. They, they're not included. Oh, my God. What? A, how discriminatory. Oh, uh, true. White, straight white men have been through enough oppression in their lives, haven't they? Truly oppressed group. Bless them. Yeah. Anyway, how's your week been, Emily? What have you been up to? Anything fun? Um, It's been all right. I yeah. think the, the most exciting thing that I did this week was go in your car and we went to the bakery. We did, and it was a lovely bakery. I got some... Bloody, oh, my God, my favourite. Butter sourdough bread. It's absolutely delicious. How good was that? Oh, my God, it was so good. The cruffin, not so much. Did um, you not like it? Not so much, because the pumpkin filling wasn't, like, sweet enough. Right, so it's a bit more savoury. Yeah, and it was really weird because like it was like a chai buttercream. Right. Like not buttercream, but it was like a chai yeah, I think it was buttercream actually. On the top and it was like had like a cinnamon sugar. It yeah, it, it I, I would just make amends and put a bit more sugar in there. Right. I'll have to try it out and see what I think. Give it my verdict as well. Do it, do it, do it. Well I have had what I refer to as a sad gal Sunday. What's a sad gal Sunday? Well, you know those kind of days where you just like wallow in like, not sadness, but just like, ugh. And you listen, I've been listening to Stevie Nicks this afternoon. Nice. Laying in my bed, put some, you know, candles on, that kind of vibe. Right. Are you not listening to like the new Adele song? No, I listened to it. I enjoyed it. But mm. now it's just, now it annoys me. Right. The, it's just whiny. I quite like it. It's sad. I, like yeah, it. I don't dislike it, but let's be honest, it's no hello, it's no someone like you. True. But, um, yeah, no, I enjoy it for it's what a nice it is. nice sip of tea you just had there. Uh, no, That's actually, it. sorry, it was uh, Vimto. ASMR. It was Vimto Zero. Hold on, I'll do it again. You, for drank, Vim- you drank Vimto like that? Hold on. How was that? <laughs> How was that for I, ASMR? Beautiful, beautiful. Um, yeah, so like, sad gal sunday and i didn't have a great day yesterday because i i met i, I sent you a message of like my topics that i want to discuss on this week's podcast mm-hmm. and one is that like wearing uncomfortable underwear will literally ruin your day it really does and it i've really learned that more now that i've invested in a pair of dungarees mm. like if you don't oh. wear the, same, the right pair of underwear with dungarees, oh my god i can oh, imagine it's a nightmare. Oh, when i say not like the kind of underwear that rolls down Mine is the kind of underwear that rolls up. Uh, right, look, rides up. Yeah. Gives you like yeah. hoof. A hoof. Yes. Yeah. Yes. See, mine's the opposite. Mine like rolls down on the butt because right. I have not been blessed with a. Oh, that's true. You have got a Hank Hill ass. I do. I don't have a fat ass. Um, yeah. It's it's hereditary. None of my family. Like I always say, it goes straight from um, heel to neck. Um, right, right, right. My body with a slit right. in the middle. Um, so like it tends to like sometimes they roll down, and oh my god, it's just so annoying. It literally puts you in such a bad mood. I know. I really need to invest in some good quality, like expensive underwear. I don't even think it's ex- it's just about getting the right fit, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. there are like a lot of like places that do like underwear for the larger gentleman, and when I say mm-hmm. larger, I mean in weight, not in. <laughs> anything else um and they just don't fit properly they're like right. but i you know i think like i don't know i'm just not you know i just need to um find the right 
pair of underwear. So if there's any listeners out there who are plus size males or females, so don't mind wearing uh, uh, women's underwear. Underwear is genderless, in my opinion. Um, who want to point me in the right direction of some plus size underwear, then let me know. Send Martin a DM. Send me a DM and Please. say, hey, I've got the best underwear for you. Excellent. Um, but yeah, so I've had kind of like a week of like self-reflection, I think, maybe. Oh my God. What? <laughs> what well, do you mean a week of self-reflection? Well, like a weekend of self-reflection. I'm, I'm in right. one of those... I'm in one You've of been those... meditating and journaling? No, I haven't been. It's kind of more a case of like, I go through peaks and troughs, as I'm sure listeners will, will have picked up on in this mm-hmm. podcast, about how I feel about the pandemic, like, and how I feel right. about the future. And right. I'm in a trough at the moment. Were you feeling a bit sad boy about it? Sad, I'm feeling sad boy, sad gal, right. sad they them about it all. You need to get out of the house. I do, but then getting out of the house comes with the fear. So it's just an endless circle. And now I'm just a bit like, oh, you know, now we're going into winter. It's going to be even shitter because, you know. No, don't see it like that. See, it's like we're going, we're moving into like the best season of all. We are moving into the best season of all when there's not a pandemic and, everyone, and you can't sit outside with your friends. Yeah, but you, I mean, you know, there are things that you can do to mitigate risk, you know? So, no, absolutely, absolutely. I don't know. I'm just, I'm in a bit of a down of the dumps. And like the other night, I was questioning if I'm fun anymore. How sad is that? <laughs> no comment. I was literally laying there and I was like, am I fun? Like, what do I do that's fun? Yeah, but what does anybody do that's fun? You, Martin, you got a podcast. I do have a podcast. <laughs> I'm just feeling down on myself. I need to pull myself out of this and know that I am fun. You are I am, fun. I am 33, flirty and thriving. And you're learning to drive. Do I am learning we're, to we've drive. Got, we've got all manner of fun things are coming up. I'm sure we'll probably do something fun this week. Probably. You know, we'll go back we need to, to get the out there. Well, and, and we, I also feel like, let's just organise our social life on the podcast, but I it. also let's feel like we should um, go to a pumpkin patch. Absolutely. No, I'm Something so that's like this. full vibes. But you it's know? just so, like, again, like, it's like there's obstacles to everything. Like, Why? I've, I've said this about the whole pandemic, right? There's about how fe- how I feel about coming out of the pandemic. There's obstacles to everything. The obstacle of me learning to drive is passing a test, right? Yeah, but, you've, obst- but you're, you are a good driver, though. Thank you. But and then there's the obstacle of going on holidays that you, you can get COVID in the airport, and then there's the obstacle of going to a pub or a bar you can get COVID. There's an obstacle of us going somewhere you having to get to my house. Yeah, but those those are things you know that's an obstacle for me. And in terms of COVID, you know there is there is whatever you decide to be decide is like acceptable level mm. of risk for yourself. It's all a personal decision. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I just get all wound up by people like. I know but everyone has to, everyone moves and everyone moves at their own pace. But I'm just like, mm. I I just feel a lot of people are just not giving a fuck anymore. And that upsets me because I still am giving a fuck, not only about myself, but about other people. Yeah. And I feel a lot of people aren't. It's that thing as well, though, because I feel like I was there with you with that. And then there comes a point where you, that you're just like, you can't change other people's behaviour. Oh, no. Like I said, I'm in a trough. I'll, I'll, I'll pick myself up. I'm just in a yeah. bit of a trough, you know? Yeah. Oh, oh. Well, this is going to be a fun podcast. Sorry, guys. Sorry, this is so <laughs> dull. Well, you know, I, I kind of see, I know this sounds really sad, but I kind of see this po- this first, like, 15, 20 minutes of the podcast as, like, therapy. No, it is. And you just talk just talk it out, you know. Just but I just feel out. like, you know, we, it's the people that you choose to surround yourself with mm. as well. And, and you, don't, you don't really engage in, like, any risky behaviour or anything like no, that, you know. No. So, you know, just 
It's all good. Just you do. I just got to do me. Also, what exactly. is an obstacle is the fact that my, I have cut my candle wick too short. Shocking. And it won't burn. At, by the way, guys, candle recommendation for everyone listening. Go on. Stunning candle is Ash by Boy Smells. Right. Boy Smells do so many good candles. I first bought a Boy Smells candle when Casey Musgraves did a collaboration called Slow, right. Slow Burn and it was gorgeous. And then I bought another one called Cedar Stack. They're about 35 quid. So they're not cheap. Mm-hmm. But, oh my God, this Ash one, it's got firewood, smoke, charcoal, Palo Santo and hay. Oh, no. hay? Hay, apparently. Nice. But my wick's too I can't short. Really... I can't really have candles because no, allergies, they back me up. Me, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love a candle, I do. I don't mind candles so much. I really hate incense. Yeah, incense is, you know... Oh, like, gets in the back of your throat. It's disgusting. Get the fucking nag champa out vibes, But I used to burn know? incense all the time. Oh, my God, I used to love incense. My room Mad used to be this. covered with, like, incense ash, like, Ugh. everywhere. Nice. It was nice. Yeah, it was good. Speak, I mean, going back to Casey Musgraves as well, I sent you this earlier, didn't I? I was very annoyed that she's been snubbed. By the Grammys. Oh, she's not Snubbed! a country... She's, <laughs> she's not a country musician anymore. Apparently, according to the Grammys, her album, her new album, Slow Burn, is not eligible for a country... It's not Slow Burn. Not Slow Burn, sorry, Star Crossed. I was going to bloody say Slow Burn. Star Crossed is not eligible for the country music album of the year. Well, because it doesn't have country makeup, does it? It's like it's like Taylor Swift's 1989 wasn't really... No, the, shall I tell you the reason why? Because it Go doesn't on. have over 51% of country um, music, like country... Uh, well, there you go. Instrumentalisation, but that's bullshit. There is a banjo throughout that album. I don't know. Mm. I just think she's. I just yeah. I just think. But I've she's moving said, into. She's transcending genre. She is, but I've. I always think that the the country music industry gatekeep, if that's the right word. I know it's the hot <laughs> word of the minute. Um, what country is, and it really upsets me because like the whole. Do you remember the Lil Nas X thing when he came out of Old Town Road and they were like, Oh, that's absolutely country. country music. They were like, It's not country. So it took Billy Ray Cyrus coming on the song for them to be like, oh, Okay, it's country. It's like, do you know? What I mean? Yeah. It just, I just find that it that very... is absolutely country music, and it's the same with like Cotton Eye Joe is country music. Cotton Eye Joe is a banger. Yeah. It's about, I think that song's about chlamydia, you know. Is it? If I, if it hadn't been for Cotton Eye Joe, I'd be married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Apparently, That's Cotton Eye Joe is chlamydia, so I've heard. Oh. Apparently, it's that in a whole new light. There you go. I used to love that song when the girl. Nice. I'm down in a storm. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> um, I mean, not much <laughs> has been happening in the celebrity world this week. I mean, Jesse Nelson is. Um, and Nicki Minaj going on their live was oh, a God, highlight. Have you not seen it? Basically, I've, I've, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. I just, I just don't. I don't know. I just don't. Is it wrong to say I just don't care? No, it's not wrong to say you don't care. All right, good. That's absolutely fine. You cannot care. But I'm still <laughs> going to talk about it. Oh, just God. for anyone that doesn't know, TikToker Nohan, who I stopped following months ago when they were anti-mask. They're um, also incredibly racist. Yes, they are. Yeah. They basically shared fake DMs of Leanne from Little Mix sending messages to him saying that Jessie was awful and that she's been blackfishing mm-hmm. forever and I told her this, blah, 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 and she's cut them off and everything. Are they confirmed fake, though? Apparently they are fake, yeah. I See, I've heard apparently they're fake, but then they could not be fake as well. Well, you know, this is the internet we live in, isn't it? 
That is true. So then, we do live in the internet. We do. We do. We are wreck it, Ralph. <laughs> um, so then Nicki Minaj was on a live with Jesse Nelson, and Jesse Nelson's like, oh, I'm living in a go in a band with fought with these girls for nine years, and I never was told this and that, and it's like whatever. And then Nicki Minaj goes on like a tirade against Leanne. Yeah. But it's like. But Nicki Minaj does... I read a good thing about Nicki Minaj is doing all this to deflect from the fact that her husband is a rapist. Yeah, 100%. She's married to a rapist, so anything... And, like, there's court stuff coming up with him, like, like now. So, like... Sorry, but if you're a barb in this day and age, you're sus. Number one, because Nicki's new music is shit. And number two, she's... the anti-vax queen, Nicki Minaj? (laughs) Yes, no. If you're a barb, then you need to... No, just... Our anti-vax queen. Anti-vax queen Nicki Minaj. Um, <laughs> I married a rapist queen Nicki Minaj. Yeah. I haven't made a good album since Pink Friday, uh, Nicki Minaj. Right. Um, but yeah, so that was the tea. So enjoy. I hope you all enjoyed the tea. That My my, my TikTok has been full to the brim with Jessie. Yeah, Nelson I've stuff. had... A, I've seen a lot of stuff that, about that that's been coming up recently and I've just kind of like, why am I getting all of this? Should I tell you what the weirdest... I've never listened to Little Mix. No, I love Little Mix. Not gonna lie. Mm-hmm. Um, should I tell you one of the weirdest... Th- like, you know how sometimes you'll be scrolling through TikTok and then you'll find yourself on a, a, an area of TikTok that's weird, right? That you're not... Nor- yes. That you're like, how have I got here? Mm-hmm. How has the algorithm taken me to uh, silicone colouring, for example? Yep. Um, do you know what? Do you know what algorithm I now am in? Go on. Protestants versus Catholics. Oh, I love that. How did I, I get there? I, How I did I, I get there? Protest- I wish I was on Protestants versus Catholic. But literally, I was like, "How have I got it?" Like, there's this this one guy who keeps showing up, and he keeps doing these memes about like protestants versus catholics and i'm like what how did i get here i'm jealous how did i get here i'll send you i'll send you the video so then you can start seeing in your algorithm but yeah thanks for that i'm like how maybe i watched a video about religion or something i don't know i feel like i don't know i feel like so much of the it's like when people go like oh how am i on berries and cream tiktok when that was a thing i think berries and cream i think that that i think that that is like just on everyone's for you page yeah, but I don't think I think Catholic versus Protest- Protestant is a bit niche to be on everyone's. It is quite page. specific, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we all know the best gay TikTok is gay TikTok, so true. Much Very like true. much like gay Twitter. Very true. So, but yeah, is I mean, is there anything you'd like to talk about, Emily? I've just been gabbing on for bloody ages. No. Okay. Um... <laughs> I don't have anything to add. I, I really don't. Oh. I've been watching. I've, I've started watching you season three, and that's about it. How is it? I, it's it's all right. It's it's you. Yeah. Yeah. Baby, it's you. You're the one I love. But you know what I mean, though. Like it's you know what you you know what you're in for. You're getting creep, just, creepy joke. You're getting creepy joke. You're getting some bad writing. Mm. You're getting mm. unbelievable circumstances, <sighs> and you're along for the ride. Oh my god! Just speaking of bad writing, I haven't talked about this in the podcast, have I yet? What? The movie I watched by M. Night Shyamalan, Old. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Seriously, it is probably... the. It's so badly written. M. Night... But I don't know what you were expecting from him. Like, the man that wrote truly one of the greatest films of all time, The Happening. Mm. It's amazing. It's about air that kills people. I mean, maybe if you'd said Sixth Sense. Yeah, we did write The Sixth Sense, didn't we? Or... 
what's that other one with the cornfield and the aliens? Signs. Signs. That movie terrifies the shit out of me. That's a great film. But now it's just so bad. It's about all these people that go to an island and then they turn, they start getting old really quickly. But the the, the dialogue, the dialogue is just awful. Yeah, I bet. Like all at the beginning. How's like, the mise en scene? The mise en scene is is pretty good. <laughs> well, actually, is it? I don't know. Like, it's ed- <laughs> the mise en scene. It's edited terribly. Like, right. so cut cut and oh, i hate it choppy don't watch old everyone so the missing persons case we'd like to highlight this week is that of wanda faye walker uh wanda faye was 60 years old at the time of her disappearance she is described as a black woman with brown eyes weighing 180 pounds and she's five foot seven with brown hair that has been dyed blonde so wanda um, who mostly goes by Faye, was last seen leaving her house in the 1400 block of 11th Avenue South in Nashville, Tennessee on October 4th, 2016. Um, and after three days of not being able to find their grandmother, her family reported Wanda missing. She was an employee of the local Dollar Tree store and has missed two days of work, which was unlike her. Her car was located one week later in the 1000 block of Wade Avenue and the car contained many of her personal belongings she would have taken with her had she simply run away. If you have any information, such as potential sightings, photos, other details concerning Miss Walker's disappearance, please submit your tips to fbi.gov or by phoning 1-800-CALL-FBI or to Nashville Crime Stoppers at 615-742-7463. You may also contact your local FBI office or the nearest American embassy or consulate. So I will be posting the missing persons poster on our Instagram story so if you have any information on the disappearance of Wanda Faye Walker please get in touch. So today is part two of our episode on the Krugersdorp killings and to give a brief recap of the last episode Cecilia Stein and her cult Electus Padeus are targeting those that are close to Rhea Grunewald and they've already murdered Natasha Berger, uh, Joy Bunzier, the pastor Reginald Bendixson and Michaela Valentine who is the wife of Zach who was involved in planning her murder. So at the end of the last episode, I told you that Cecilia wanted to target Rhea's son, Joshua, and that there was a witness in the documentary named Mr. X, who is kept anonymous throughout, but he was part of Cecilia's inner circle. Is he any relation to Madam X? He isn't. Okay. He is not. Okay. So he said that Cecilia said that if they could kill Joshua, then it would completely break Rhea as a person and I want to note here that while these murders are going on Cecilia is actually living with her husband she had a husband who was a police official and she had small children and they're all living in the flat now the police officer that she was married to isn't the colonel that I'm about to talk about but it is alarming that all of this was going on under his roof and he didn't know anything apparently really really So, Mr. X says that after Cecilia divulged the fact that they're murdering people, he began to realise that this wasn't about ridding the world of satanic influences. Mm. This was about revenge against Rhea personally, and that it was all about ruining her life. So, Mr. X confides in a friend who advises him to speak to the police, and he ends up speaking to a colonel in the police force who was good friends with Cecilia and would visit her flat often and bring her weapons as gifts. Weapons? Weapons as gifts. Oh, dear. 
So Mr. X's friend arranges a meeting between him and this colonel one night and the colonel has three people with him that he says are part of the Hawks, which is a group that deal with organised crime and money laundering. They're basically the South African police force will refer cases to them, but they're like an independent authority. Okay. So he tells the colonel everything, all about this stuff. And he wants um, Mr. X to go undercover and he gives him, he gives Mr. X a tape recorder and he says that if he can record Cecilia and the others confessing to the crimes, then he will arrest them immediately. The colonel also says that he will wait outside to take the tape from Mr. X, which is kind of like a protection, like so that Mr. X knows that there's somebody waiting outside. Mm. So Mr. X goes to Cecilia's flat with the intention of recording her confession, which he manages to do. He says that he got it on tape, but he notices that halfway through the conversation, Zach Valentine disappears, okay, leaves the room. Right, okay. And Mr. X begins to get really uneasy and he says that he feared for his life. So he flees the flat and he finds that when he gets outside, the colonel isn't there like he promised. Mm -hmm. So Mr. X gets on his motorbike and he realises halfway through driving that there is a red flashing light on the back of his bike. A tracking device that he believes was planted there by Zach when he disappeared from the flat. Right. Mr. X calls his friend and asks her to pick him up. She tells him to hide until she gets there. While he's hiding, he sees Zach show up with two other cars, but thankfully they don't find him and he manages to get away with his friends. Right. But he's like, where the hell is the colonel? Because he's got this he's got this tape with a confession on it. So his friend is like, all right, I'll find out where the colonel is. And she allegedly manages to give him the tape. This is what the documentary says. They pass over the tape that's got the confession on it. It's got the confession of the murder of four people on it. Right. But nothing happens. Not one person was arrested. And Mr. X says on the documentary that he thinks the colonel was deliberately covering it up. Right. Like, deliberately, like, covering it up. Because in the subsequent trial, which we will get onto, mm-hmm. that tape was unearthed. They found that tape, but it was completely scrubbed. Like, it was in anything that was said on it was, was ineligible. Right. And when Mr. X gave over the tape, you could hear a confession on it. Okay. So basically, so he's scrubbed it. They've scrubbed it of the evidence. Allegedly, it could right, have happened. Okay. Evidence right. is pointing that way. Okay. Now, Rhea's son Joshua, thankfully, was not murdered by Cecilia and her group. And at this point, the murders in 2012 turn into a cold case. Despite the fact that the original detective, called Captain Van Wick, um, was committed to getting enough evidence to get Cecilia and her group. But he's taken off the case and he doesn't know why. He's like... But I'm on to the I'm on to this. Like we're gonna get we're gonna get them. Like I will yeah. be able to gather the evidence, but they take him off the case. Mm. So fast forward to November twenty fifteen. On the twenty seventh of November, Nicholas Meyer finds his parents, Peter and Joan, lying face down on their coffee table at their home. Right. They had been stabbed multiple times, and the thing that the investigators noticed about the Meyer case was that they had already interviewed Marinda Stein because she had had an appointment with the Myers prior to their death. 
After their parents' murder, the children of Peter and Joan hired a private investigator to look into the case because nobody was found. And the private investigator got CCTV footage that showed Marinda at the house as well as Zach's car. So they became suspects in this murder. And the police went and interviewed them. And they got statements from both Marinda and Zach who say that they had been at the Myers house for an appointment, but there were other people there too, another man and a woman, and that this man and woman had gotten into a very heated argument with the Myers and that they had felt really uncomfortable, so they just decided to leave. But they didn't decide to call the police after reading about the murder the next day to tell them that there was people there having an argument. They waited until they were approached personally. Um, And at the time... The police wanted to do a polygraph test on Zach and Marinda. Mm-hmm. But a day later, on the 16th of December 2015, a car was found burning on the side of the road. Right. The car belonged to Zach Valentine and the police found a charred body in the driver's seat. Now, at first glance, it looks like there's been an accident and the car has essentially blown up. Mm. But when investigators looked closely, there were no signs of an accident and the license plate of the car was not affected at all by the fire. Right. So the police believe that the body in the driver's seat is Zach's and they tell Zach's mum... Um, that he's passed away and that his sister, Zach's sister, has already identified the body. Right. The only thing is, Zach doesn't have a sister. Um, Marinda had basically gotten to Zach's body first, identified it, and they had pronounced Zach's, da- Zach dead. Mm. Zach's mum went to see the body too and it was so badly burnt that there was absolutely no way of identifying him at all. God. And Michaela's mum, so remember Michaela and Zach were married. Michaela's mum says that her first reaction was that Cecilia had murdered Zach as well. Okay. Right, okay, yeah. After Zach's death, Cecilia makes a claim on his life insurance as she was named on it as like the, I don't know what it is, like what is it when you're named as the, on the... Oh, like, policy. Um, the beneficiary. The beneficiary. beneficiary. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's the beneficiary. Mm-hmm. However, this flagged the attention of the insurance company because it's an early death claim, meaning that the death of the person on the life insurance occurred within the first three months of the policy being bought. Right. And the premiums on the policy had actually gone into arrears, okay. but a cash deposit was paid a week before Zach's death which is obviously a massive red Red flag. flag. Yeah, for sure. So the insurance company doesn't pay and Cecilia keeps calling them, asking for the money. She's like, come on, like pay, pay out, pay out. Mm. Um, So the insurance company are like, okay, we're going to investigate. So they end up visiting her flat and they ask her a few questions. And Cecilia says that she's known Zach since she was seven years old. Not true. And that she was his beneficiary before he was married to his wife. Also not true. The insurance investigator knew that Michaela had been murdered prior. So they're talking about it. And Cecilia says very jovially that, oh, yeah, Michaela died. She died. Like, it's no big thing. Just a normal death, which obviously it wasn't. And then the insurance person says, like, oh, what happened? Like, oh, I think I heard, like, she was murdered. And Cecilia's like, oh, yeah, she was murdered, but they caught the two guys that they, that did it and all this stuff. They never caught anybody. So basically Cecilia's just spinning a load of 
shit. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And then they start questioning her about um, the life insurance policy. And they're like, oh, there was... Um, and Cecilia basically says, like... And you can see the body cam footage of this. Cecilia's basically saying, like, oh, yeah, there was a payment to bring the policy back to life. And the insurance guy's like, how do you know that? And she's like, well, I because I made it. I can show you my bank statements. Yeah. Like, basically admitting that she was the one that made this payment on his policy a week before he died. That's so, so weird. So, obviously. That's so, like, It's so dodgy. weird. Yeah. It's like this whole thing with Cecilia Stein that she she truly believes that she'll get away with, she'll get away with everything. Mm. Like, that's her whole thing. Yeah. Total narcissism. Yeah. So, the insurance company are obviously on high alert and they um, start to actually investigate the, the crime scene, right? Like, the car and, and Zach's... Body. Mm-hmm. So they ran a blood typing analysis on the body in the car and Zach to determine whether the blood types are the same. They weren't. So they begin to suspect that Zach Valentine wasn't dead and that the entire thing had been faked. Remember how they wanted to do a polygraph test? Yeah. And and the day this this happened the day before they were supposed to do a, a polygraph test. But whose body is it then? Well, We'll get to that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we're, I know. So we're going to fast forward to 2016 and we're also going to jump around a little bit in time. So Martin, you have to stop me with questions if if it's not clear. You need okay. to put the voice of the audience. I always right? do. Right. So in 2016, there were a series of murders that were dubbed the appointment murders in Krugerstorp. Mm-hmm. The first victim was Anthony Schofield, who was a 64-year-old insurance broker who had gone missing on the 10th of May 2016 after a meeting at 6pm that evening. The police find an abandoned vehicle outside a primary school in Krugersdorp and in the boot of the vehicle is the body of Anthony. He had been strangled, wrapped in black bags and 16,600 rand had been taken out of his bank account. I really tried to find information about Anthony, but I think his family have been very private for obvious reasons. Mm. On the 26th of May 2016, Kevin McAlpine, who was a 29-year-old insurance broker, goes missing after a meeting at 6pm. And three it was three days after his first wedding anniversary. Mm. Um, his wife, Kezia, who was heavily pregnant at the time, alerts the authorities who find his car abandoned. Like Anthony Schofield, he's found strangled and wrapped in black bags in the boot of his car. Kezia actually had to send the police a photograph of him so that they could identify his body in the back of the car. 1,300 rand had been withdrawn from his bank account. Now, his wife described Kevin as her gentle giant and that he always made her feel safe. She said that he was a sports fanatic and the most um, difficult moment of the day for her is the mornings because every morning he used to wake her up with a cup of tea and they had like a whole morning routine together. Mm -hmm. Um, And they'd actually known each other for over a decade. They'd started dating in high school, but they spent some time apart and they eventually got back together in 2013. Right, okay. After Kevin's murder, concern began to spread in the Krugerstorp area that a serial killer was on the loose and insurance brokers were terrified of being targeted. Lots of people started to cancel business meetings and appointments because of what was happening. Right. Um, on the 30th of May 2016, Onley Lutgen goes missing. 
Now, she was a 52-year-old real estate agent married to a man named Andre and her and Andre had actually recently remarried. They'd been divorced, but they remarried each other. Um, she had a son called Francois and a daughter named Joanne and she was well-loved in her community. Her husband was concerned that she hadn't come home, so he alerts his son. He then notices that, well, her husband then notices that somebody is trying to withdraw money from his account. Mm-hmm. So Francois and his wife, and Francois's wife, are obviously on high alert. They're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And they try to go out, they go out and look for her, trying to find her. Mm-hmm. And they drive to Krugersdorp. And on Lee's vehicle is found outside of the hospital there. Right. Remember that Cecilia, Stein and others live okay. near the hospital. Right. Obviously, given what's happened, everyone is concerned. When they open the vehicle, it's found empty. Right. That night, Kezia McAlpine is also at the hospital and they park in front of a block of flats that are directly in front of the hospital and they see Onley's car and the road cordoned off and Kezia says she turned to her mum and said, they've done it again. Right. Upon checking the hospital CCTV, they saw that Onley exited her car and was approached by a woman and that they walked off around the corner of the block of flats. The flats aren't a high rise. There's only a handful of floors. But Francois says that they noticed that people have been watching them from the block of flats and that something felt dodgy about them. Obviously, Cecilia had to live close to a hospital because of the so-called satanic attacks on yeah. her body. Yeah. So Onley was eventually found by a group of school children in a field. She'd been murdered. These three murders became known as the appointment murders and the police connect them together and begin investigating. Mm -hmm. Now, the two cops on the Devil's Dorp documentary that I watched were Brigadier Victor, who was the head of the crime intelligence unit, and a man called Captain Ben Boysen, who has a mullet and he excudes this kind of Wild West persona that he's built for himself. Vibe, yeah. There's like constant references to Chuck Norris. Okay, that. And he's like, I don't want. He's like, I want to work alone. I work better alone. Yeah. So the cops pull CCTV from the ATMs where the money was drawn from the victims, and they show the footage to some of their informants. They don't really specify who the informers were for obvious reasons, um, but the informers identify the same two people at the ATMs: Larue and Marcel Stein brother and sister, children of Marinda Stein, who we know is in Electus Padeus, and we know that LaRue and Marcel are there as well. Mm. So they bring LaRue and Marcel in, and they photograph them from different angles, and it's obvious that it's them. It's, like, super obvious. So they're arrested. Right. Obviously, they can't, they can't connect them to the murders yet, um, just the use of the credit cards. And in a typical white privilege move... Mm. Marcel says that they got the cards from, quotation marks, Nigerians, right? right? Just passing the buck on to an entire region of people. Yeah. Instead of actually, you know, owning up to what they've done. Yeah. So LaRue goes on to confess to all three murders. And he says that he did it alone, just him. Nobody else was involved. 
and both him and Marcel are really really young like mm -hmm. and they were really really young when they first got dragged into all this shit back in the first episode yeah. so I think Marcel had just graduated high school at this point and he was like yeah I think LaRue was like 20 21 yeah so the police think that he had to have had help doing this because they describe him as being very scrawny right. like he wouldn't have had the strength to do this by himself so they start to search for accomplices okay so both larue and marcel are arrested and an article is published in the news about marinda saying she can't believe her children have been arrested pray for my children and the police don't think that this is the first time that larue and marcel have done something like this and obviously we know that they have mm -hmm. exactly um and they begin looking at other crimes that bear a resemblance and they look into the Maya case which we just mentioned mm -hmm. um, as well as Zach Valentine's supposed death so the cops believe the insurance company when they say that they don't believe that Zach is dead and they pass around photographs of Zach within the police force so so where is Zach at this moment do we not know is he like no he's, he's missing. missing presumed dead basically we're gonna get there right now right okay. we're going there right now cool. so that they pass out all of these photographs within the police force people are out looking at him, at him mm. for him around the place mm. um, and eventually he gets found he had been living as a houseless person and he had joined an outreach group for houseless people and they'd gone on a camping trip right it's like a you know like outreach work that yeah. kind of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. um one of the women that was working as part of this outreach group was the girlfriend of a police officer and the police officer obviously had the photograph of Zach and he, she basically said she said something to him like oh who's that that's that's this guy and she gave a name right that he'd been going under right. who's that and, and then he was like that's not that person this is Zach Valentine she's like no I've seen this person I know who he is and her, her cop boyfriend's like, okay, cool. Well, he's got this massive tattoo all over his back. Like he's got, he's got all these tattoos on his back. He's got an Electus Pideus tattoo on his back. Mm -hmm. Basically, very easy to spot. Right. And he's like, okay, see if you can recognise the tattoo. Well, when they're on this outreach um, camping trip, he takes his top off, and she sees the tattoos on his back. Right. So she's like, this is absolutely Zach Valentine. So he ends up getting arrested. Yeah. And he's brought in three days after Marcel and LaRue are arrested as well. Okay. Now, as this is all unravelling, Marinda and Cecilia are also arrested as part of the plot to fake the death for a life insurance policy. Right, okay. And they're denied bail. They're like, absolutely not. You will not be leaving. Okay. But there's still a lot more to put together to charge them with any connection to the murders and they also need to figure out whose body was in the car mm. so the cops also begin to look into marinda and they see that she doesn't have a criminal record before she's basically this kindly teacher from the outside mm. but her children are obviously involved in the appointment murders yeah. as we know she's connected to the murder of peter and joan meyer a year previous because of that cctv footage we spoke about yeah so Captain Ben gets an anonymous call from a tip who tells him that he should search Marinda's classroom at the school where she teaches. And in that room, he finds two stoves, you know, like ovens, which, you no, know, like that. I think the classroom used to be 
used for food technology, like kind of like home economics thing. Right, okay, yeah. But it wasn't being used for that anymore. Okay. So it was like, it was like, oh, that's a bit weird. Like there's still ovens there. Mm. Anyway, he opens them up and inside he finds ammunition, a right. ton of bullets. Okay. Like put inside the oven. Right. So the headmaster's wife, like, and the headmaster obviously, you know, going along with the law enforcement. Mm. And the headmaster's wife tells him that Marinda had recently changed her will because of Marcel and Larue's arrest. She'd removed both of them and she had let, and she'd basically disowned them. Right. It's quite savage, this will. Yeah. Um, and she decided to leave everything to Cecilia Stein. Okay. So at this point, Captain Ben says that he knows there's a lot more to LaRue's confession. He feels like LaRue was covering for someone. And he says that he basically was playing this kind of good cop role to try and get LaRue to trust him and give up more information. Now, according to Captain Ben, LaRue had said that he loves the people that are involved and he will not be throwing them under the bus. So when Ben gets a hold of this will... He's like, okay, this is something that I can really change his mind now because mm. this is, you know, this evidence. him off, yeah. Yeah, like his mother disavowing him and yeah. leaving everything to Cecilia. Yeah. So he shows it to LaRue and LaRue breaks down. And yeah. it, apparently he says, fuck her, they're all going down. Right. And he decides to talk saying that the killings had begun in 2012. So LaRue is going in for the kill LaRue is like I am gonna fucking say everything do you not everything you You know just yeah he's just gonna go for it yeah like despite the fact that he's really involved in all of this you know despite the fact that he's been like murdering people he's like I'm not gonna just take the fall for all of it I'm gonna you know grass them up as well exactly exactly yeah Um, and he tells Ben to go and look at the flat where his mum lived because it is full of weapons right okay so captain ben goes to the flat which is in the same building as cecilia by the way right okay they all live in the same building um because obviously cecilia was like agoraphobic and she couldn't leave the the surrounding area because otherwise all these hexes and curses would be put on her all that kind of stuff yes so in that flat they find um a ton of guns all right. sorts of stuff. And they also find Cecilia's... Um, they also search Cecilia's flat and they find over 500 knives. Wow. Like, it's insane how That's much they actually found. Knives, yeah. Tons, tons. So, LaRue went on to explain how the appointment murders took place. So, essentially, the victims of the appointment murders would be lured to his mum's flat. Marinda would threaten them to get their PIN numbers and then LaRue would strangle them. So, Just... I mean, is there, like, what's the... Did, maybe I'm jumping the gun again, but what's the reasoning behind these murders? Because the reasoning behind the other murders that were connected to Rhea were because they were because they were turning against Rhea and trying to, like, protect Cecilia well, and stuff. I think that that's, that's, that's kind of like what the outward motivation of that is, appears like. Yeah. But when you dig into it, is I feel like that is Cecilia's way of exerting control. Okay, yeah, fair enough. At the beginning. And, 
And then these are truly motiva- motivated by greed. So, like, remember in, in the last episode when we were talking about Cecilia's taking all of these donations, people would have to pay tithes yeah, to her. Yeah, yeah. She wants money, basically. Yeah, true. I forgot you know, she's about that, lying yeah. about this satanic orphanage that she's got and all that kind of stuff. You know, she's, she's spinning a lot of webs. Mm. Um, so basically, they would they would threaten him, get the pin numbers, and then Larue would murder them. Um, and it was all to get money for Cecilia, essentially. They also, when they looked um, in some of the rooms, they saw like stains that people tried to clean up. You know, like there wasn't overtly blood on the yeah. carpet, but you could see that somebody had been scrubbing it pretty hard. So when they ripped it up underneath, obviously the blood had soaked through. Yeah. Because nobody's thinking of ripping up a carpet to cover up blood stains. So they find this blood and they could actually prove that some of the murders had taken place there and the blood actually belonged to Anthony Schofield. Right. So they're making waves in this case, right? Mm-hmm. They're actually getting somewhere. And another murder from back in January 2016 captures their attention. And that is the murder of Glenn McGregor, right. whose family found him dead in his bathtub, filled with hot water on January the 27th, which was four months before the appointment murders. He had been strangled and shot. Right. There was also a bank transfer to Marinda made before he died which is, like, it's wild to me that, like, that could happen. There was a bank transfer, all, all of these things. And, and we'll get on to police incompetence in a minute, but there was all so of these things that could be prevented. He made a bank transfer to Marinda. Marinda made the bank transfer to herself after they'd murdered him. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. so they found that there was a bank transfer made to her account, but it was actually After her making... Murder. Yes. Yeah. So he had actually been shot in the back twice by Marinda mm-hmm. and then strangled by LaRue, who then moved him into the bathtub. And yeah. again, totally motivated by, by money. By money. Yeah. It was all money. Yeah. So I want to point out that Marinda was extremely abusive towards both LaRue and Marcel. Right. Obviously, she's brought them into Cecilia's cult at a young age. Like these are these were literal children. Yeah. Um. And alongside that, she threatened Larue with death. Um. If he didn't carry out the murders, mm. she also used to beat him mm. a lot. Obviously, it's not an excuse. No, it's um, not. There's an excuse, no excuse. But, but it paints a picture. Yeah, it paints a picture of the, the the mentality of the person who's committing these crimes. Yeah. Exactly, and especially considering that Larue, like as soon as he saw that his mother was giving you know getting rid of him basically and being mm. like oh i'm giving everything to cecilia he was like he kind of flipped pretty quickly yeah. and he started to tell the truth well but, if you think about it if they were everything was motivated by money and then mm. he now knew that he wasn't going to get any of it he was probably like well fuck you i'm gonna fuck you over well i think for them i think for like larue and marcel a a lot of this comes down to coercion. And the whole right. thing is about coercion, right? Because yeah. it's it's a religious cult. Mm. But it's like, you know, their mother really did manipulate them yeah. into into being a part of this thing. Mm. Which is really, really sad. Like, again, it's not an excuse. There's no excuse for that behaviour. But, no. it, you know, there's no excuse for murdering somebody. No. But there are, you know, it's not cut and dry. It's not black and white. No. So, um, LaRue also gave up the name of another person in their circle who had involvement in the murders. And this was a man named John Barnard, who was a drug addict. 
and Captain Ben describes John Barnard as kind of like a puppet of the group. He would do anything that they asked him to do. You know, he's really under this under Cecilia's coercive control as well. Mm, mm. And they bring John in and he flips on the group too. He basically just, he's like, all right, I'm going to tell the truth. And he confirms and corroborates LaRue's confession. And because of their confessions and becoming, you know, like working with the state, um, LaRue and John got a plea bargain agreement for them agreeing to testify against Marinda and Marcel. And um, interestingly, there's a journalist called Maritska uh, Cotier, and she visits him in jail because she wants to get his story. Right. And she gives him her number and they begin a working relationship. Oh, More on that God. later. More on that later. Where's Cecilia in all of this? Right, we're going to get there. Oh, okay, we sorry. Will get there. I'm like jumping we'll get on the gun. Sorry, I do that all okay. the time. I'm sorry. We'll get there. So back to Zach Valentine and the man found in his burned out car. Yes. So... Jared Jackson um, was a young man struggling with drug addiction and him and his girlfriend had recently become houseless. They were trying to start a business by selling snacks and drinks outside the hospital in Krugerstorp and that's where they met Cecilia and Marinda who had bought from them. Mm. And Cecilia and Marinda actually bought everything that they had that day and, and like, you know, bought all of their stuff basically, like trying to build a friendship with them. And on the day of the murder... Jared went for a drive with John and LaRue, where LaRue drugged him, strangled him, and then they burnt his body in the car to make it look like it was Zach. Uh, I was literally just about to say, well, what would they have to gain from killing it? But then the insurance yeah. money. Yeah, exactly. And and that's what Jar- Jared's girlfriend in the documentary says how he was basically just used as a means to an end for yeah, them and like yeah. how beyond evil that is that he was he was just part of their he was just like so worth it was so worthless to yeah the, exactly to them, to them obviously exactly exactly it was just like well whatever you know we'll, exactly disposable is what yes I'm trying to say, yeah. exactly Awful. now cecilia is obviously um in custody because of the um charges on the fraudulent life insurance right mm. but they're faced with a bit of a dilemma when it comes to her because like other cases such as Charles Manson and the Manson family there isn't that direct evidence connecting her to the crime scenes yes yeah 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 but we know from LaRue's testimony and John's testimony that she is basically orchestrating this she's like it, the puppet master yeah, yeah it wouldn't have happened without her no so Captain Ben, they do a whole thing about how he, he worked two months solid at his desk trying to link the murders from 2012 and the more recent appointment murders. And I do have to give it up, give it to him. Like I'm not a big fan of law enforcement, but he did crack this, right? Yeah. Like, he did actually do it. So he approached the original detectives from the 2012 murders and they realised that there was a tonne of documentation from those original murder investigations missing. Remember, obviously, back in 2012 that the police were really suspicious of Cecilia and her group, as well as Rhea. Rhea became a suspect at one point, Mm. obviously, because these people around Rhea were being targeted. Yeah. And the detective from 2012, you know, the one that got taken off the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was talking about how there was as much as four wheelbarrows full of documentation that was missing on the case. It just gone. What a bizarre. And he was like, what like a bizarre measurement. I just... uh, well, yeah, but I mean, in terms like gargantuan amounts. Yeah, of information. loads, loads of yeah. info. Yeah. And the detective from 2012 also talks about the colonel who told Mister X to get a confession right. and how 
and how he even went as far so the detective from 2012 even went as far as to check the tracking device on the colonel's car and he found that that colonel was at cecilia's flat a lot like way too much time there and later um when they asked like why that he was um spending so much time there apparently this is what they said they said that they were given orders to infiltrate electus padeus but there's no documentation of any like and and captain ben makes like this whole thing about like how if you're going to be infiltrating a group like this there's a paper trail oh, of it. Gotcha. Like it's of it's an official be. business. Yeah. And I want to flag here, and we'll talk about it a bit at the end, that there is an ongoing investigation into how the police handled that those that those murders from twenty twelve. Right, okay. And um they are investigating like why that original detective was removed from the case because there are a lot of things there that are like major red flags, like yeah. what the hell was going on. Things just don't quite add up. Definitely. Yeah. So the detectives managed to interview some of the witnesses from Rhea's church back in the day, some of the people that we spoke about in episode one, and they are shit scared, basically, to put it bluntly. They know that something bad's going on with Cecilia. They're terrified of her in this group. Mm. And Rhea had essentially gone into hiding. She didn't respond to the police um, because she told them back in 2012 what was going on. Yeah. Nobody did anything. No. So she didn't really want to put herself or her son at risk of this group again. Mm-hmm. Um, and Captain Ben said that, like, he basically had to convince her to talk. And he says how long it took her to finally decide to talk to him. And it was, like, a very, very long time, very arduous process of actually getting her to open up. Yeah. She finally said that she would testify, but on the condition that her picture never be shown. So that is why there are no photographs of Rhea Greenwood mm-hmm. um, anywhere. She was still terrified of Cecilia. She still believed that Cecilia was part of this satanic church, that she had these special powers, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. So Marinda, um, in this time, um, before the trial, so obviously Marinda and, and um Cecilia are kind of facing, you know, these all this stuff that's going on with these with these charges, but Cecilia, nobody's got Cecilia yet because, as I said, like she's there's no only... smoking gun, basically. Yeah, exactly. Cecilia, yeah. But Marinda, before the trial, actually decided to plead guilty to the murders, okay. saying that she had received a verse from God saying that if she confessed, she would be forgiven. Oh, God. And she says that on the stand. She's like, Oh, God came down and spoke to me and he said that I will be forgiven and that I must confess. Right? Okay. But because she obviously didn't cooperate in the beginning, like LaRue and John and go for like a plea deal yeah. she received 11 life sentences and good. 115 years good which i think we, yeah which i think is yeah, good absolutely. yeah um so obviously john and larue took the plea deal and worked with the state so they were given 20 years and 25 years respectively mm-hmm. marcel zach and cecilia are all in custody awaiting trial which doesn't take place until 2018 and that's that tr- they're on trial for the insurance fraud for the insurance but they're also sorry we're going to get on to this we'll get on to how they actually managed to get them for everything right because okay, okay. they check they the trial the trial changes a little bit they're originally arrested for the insurance fraud stuff all, all that kind of stuff but it, it evolves into a bit more okay so they're denied bail they're inside for quite a while before their trial starts mm-hmm. and in this time remember the journalist that i was talking about maritska the one that had a working relationship with zach yeah it turns into with larue with larue, with LaRue. that's it with larue yeah. yeah um they begin a romantic relationship <gasps> oh my goodness i know such a shock 
but she's she comes across as really like a really lovely person in the documentary. Yeah, and she's just like she, you know, and she's talking about how her relationship with Larue has. She's lost friends. She's lost family, and it's like well, obviously because he is a murderer. But she, she also talks about you know him being under this control and his mother like you know and how awful she was Marinda you know keeping him under this control threatening him I, I know, mean, it's very complicated yeah but he's still a murderer like True. imagine oh my god I've got this great new guy he's so amazing yeah he's funny he treats me really right yeah, he's, he's a murderer he's like, part of the murder of 11 people yeah, yeah you know it's you know it's you know not not one to take home to the parents no, it's it's co- again, it's complicated, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's it's not black and white. That's I just true. don't want to be a judge because it's oh, it's really like what he did was absolutely vile, and yeah. I but I personally think that that you know, it's, it's he got the plea he got the plea plea deal obviously because without him confessing there would be no case would, against yeah, any of them. Yeah, but I mean it's kind of like how we feel about Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Yeah, I, I feel more. I feel a bit feel more, more towards Gypsy. Absolutely, yeah. but like you know, someone who's coerced and treated yeah. awfully and yeah. basically pushed into doing these things. You, yeah, I don't know. I do think that maybe you could have got more than twenty five years. I don't. I don't know. It's a bit. Oh, I don't know. I, I never. I'm never quite sure how I feel about people that make like plea bargains. Like I. I just don't. Unless, Again, unless, every case is different. Yeah, I mean, unless the unless it's doing something to help the case, and yeah. ha- then then yeah. But if it's just someone go, if they're just like, well, you know, if you confess, if you plead guilty, you'll get less time in prison. It's like, well, you know, right. yeah, you know, I don't know, I don't know. That's true. That is true. That is true. Don't sit well with me unless it's you know for the benefit of the victim or the families involved. You know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, no, I, I get it. It's, it's really difficult when we have these conversations about like law and order and like crime and punishment and all that kind of stuff. It's mm. like, you know, how far do you go? Because if, if you know, somebody like Larue Stein can spend twenty five years in prison for what he did, because there absolutely does need to be some form of, of you know, punishment yeah. for that, yeah. despite. It's really complicated. I just don't know how I feel about the whole thing. But, but you know, anyway, I'm going to move on. Because move I'm on, having like we... a mental battle in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Let's Honestly. Move on. So the trial is against Zach, Marcel and Cecilia. And important to note that South Africa doesn't have a jury system. So um, guilt or innocent is decided... Um, by the judge. Guilt or innocence is decided by the judge. Yeah, I remember that from... Um, I watched the Oscar Pistorius trial... Yeah. Um, and like they, the judge like takes like ages to decide, don't they? It's not just a yeah. case of like the judge will go out the back like a jury would and sit there for hours. No. Until, they'll be like, right, well, we'll reconvene in like three weeks once I've yeah. kind of like been able to Gone think through over everything. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So they brought in over 50 witnesses and Marinda decided to testify on behalf of Cecilia. Um, who described her as her very best friend. Um, Marinda basically gave a bunch of bullshit on the stand. Um, She was trying to get Cecilia and Marcel off the hook and basically undermine LaRue's testimony. Mm. She said that Cecilia wasn't at all involved in the plan of the murders. Um, Marinda also said that Cecilia is a Christian and accepted Jesus as her saviour. Beautiful. Therefore, she's innocent. 
Absolutely. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Um, because obviously there was all this stuff going on in the in the trial about, you know, Satanism yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And, and that's the thing that's really convoluted about this because it's like, yes, there's that element of Satanism in it, but... but Cecilia Stein was just using that as a smokescreen. What she was really doing was was basically saying that she was a highly religious Christian woman yeah. who had escaped from the, the clutches of awful satanic ritual abuse and now she needed money and power, basically. Basically, she was just wanted money at the end of the day and didn't yeah. give a shit. Well, and, and power as money well, and, and control over the people. She wanted. She was nasty. She wanted a following and yeah. that's what she got. Yeah. So Rhea came on the stand and told the court all about Cecilia and the satanic church. And remember in episode one, we were talking about how Cecilia would vomit blood on their high nights. Yes. Where she'd be attacked by the satanic church. Yeah. Well, she apparently would fill latex gloves with fake blood. And then when she fell down, she'd bite into the gloves and then the blood would be everywhere. That's like, and she'd fake it basically. And Rhea spoke about how she believed every single word she said. And mm. she even believed that Cecilia was being like psychically raped by demons. Oh, God. Yeah, horrendous. So, Marinda said that LaRue, her own son, was a liar and that he was lying about everything. Right. And on the, on the stand, um, John, who's obviously one of the state witnesses, said that he gave Cecilia 50,000 Rand for her orphanage which was for the victims of satanic ritual abuse. Mm. And Zach Valentine said that he had done everything for the kingdom of God. It's all for God, everything that he did. So when Cecilia took the stand, she said that she didn't have a ministry. There was never any orphanage. She's not. A, she never told anyone that she's a forty-second generational satanic witch. It's all lies. It's all like total lies. But obviously, she had been telling everybody this. Yeah. They ask Cecilia whether she's a Satanist. She says no. They asked her if she was a Christian. She said yes. And you can watch all of this on YouTube. It is super fascinating because she is so narcissistic. She deflects everything. It's a real. It's almost a skill that she's got. She basically that she's denying and deflecting every single thing. Yeah. And she talks about physical abuse trauma from her past and how that basically gave her dissociative identity disorder. But there is no evidence of this. So by her doing that, she she basically would then imply that. She didn't. If 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 they found her guilty, she could then plead the defence of well, I didn't know what I was doing because it maybe. Was... But it's it's more about it was more about. Do you remember in the first episode when I was talking about how she had all these different identities that she had? She mm. she pretended to be a child and she pretended yeah. to be blah 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 blah. Yeah. She's basically saying like, yes, I do have dissociative identity disorder, which she's never been. It's not proven mm. that she's got that. She talks about all this trauma that she's had from her past. There's no evidence for it. Her family are like dead normal apparently from the documentary that i watched that's that's what they basically said so because there's no physical evidence linking cecilia to these crimes the prosecution decided to go after a racketeering charge instead of anything else just to confirm i never know what racketeering is it's it's to do with guns right no so it's basically about like Think of like the mafia or like the Godfather or something like that. Right. Or- it's like it's like illegal enterprise. Oh, like organized crime. Organized crime, basically. Right. Okay. Cool. 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 So they're saying that because there's that because there's this financial element in this, and Cecilia is basically sitting in her flat orchestrating this about how she's going to send her people out to murder people and then get money. Yeah. 
she's basically the kingpin of criminal enterprise, mm-hmm. which is what they classify Electus Pideus as. Okay. They they know and we know that it's a religious cult motivated for whatever reason yeah. but in terms of the legal system they have to focus on that financial element of it to really nail cecilia's involvement yeah, yeah, in yeah. It. okay so on the stand marinda talks about how good she felt after the murders and how it was like the best that she'd ever felt she was living a separate life from being a teacher and a mother and she said that she had told like because remember she murdered michaela valentine so but but marinda's already been found guilty and sentenced for murder right so she so now she's basically doing this to deflect the information deflect it away from cecilia Essentially, yeah, yeah. She, she gave testimony. She was a witness for Cecilia, basically, yeah. to say Cecilia was innocent. Yeah. And she said that when before she murdered Michaela, she told her to pray, I'm about to kill you. Pray to Oof. God, I'm about to kill you. Her, honestly, her testimony is so, so disturbing. It's like this really macabre, but she says it so calmly. Mm. It's horrifying. Mm. And Marinda, Marinda and Cecilia tried to spin this story in the court about how LaRue... Is only trying to implicate Marcel because he's jealous of her and he always has been ever since he was a child and he never wants anybody to suffer alone and all this kind of... It was the way that she spoke about her, about LaRue. It was absolutely horrifying. Mm. However, when Marcel took the stand, she did what nobody expected. She confessed to her involvement and told the court about how Cecilia would pick their targets and tell them how to do it. And she also said how her mother gave false testimony on behalf of Cecilia and that Cecilia had been manipulating everybody. And she basically broke down on the stand and, like, was really... So she was she, she was like, I can't believe what I have done. Yeah. I will never forget. She was like, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I was involved in this or this kind of stuff. So Marcel is Marinda's daughter? Yes. Right, okay. LaRue's sister. LaRue's sister, yeah. And she... And, like, Marinda had apparently behind the scenes threatened her to stick to the story basically saying like if you don't stick to this story i'm gonna kill you but she couldn't they actually had to move marcel into a different facility to the one where everybody else was being kept because they thought that marinda was gonna kill her yeah yeah horrifying that's awful yeah so cecilia and the other members of electus padeus were found guilty and charged with the 11 murders but there are other allegations that may be connected they may be connected to more murders so do you remember in the the first episode when we were talking about the school attack, right? That kind of the car happened. with the car bombs. No, that was that was towards Rhea. The, the, it was before we got into the case, so it was basically the guy who came went into the school with the Slipknot mask. Oh yeah, then, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Cecilia had allegedly given the perpetrator spiritual counselling before the attack. Right. I don't know what spiritual counselling means or what he did, or whether there's any real evidence of it, but it's an allegation. Mm. There were also allegations of Cecilia and her group being um, connected to the murder of a man called Loren Swartz, who was found dead in his car. And he had blows to his skull, and he had marks all over his leg, um, marks all over his like arms and mm. legs, mm. Um, like, like, like stab wounds. Yeah. And there was also a lot of blood found at his apartment. And on the evening of his death, money was withdrawn from, from his, his bank account. account. Yeah. 
And the family believed that Cecilia was involved as they did know her and she lived close by, but there's no concrete evidence to connect them. Yeah. Um, so Cecilia was eventually sentenced to 13 life sentences. Zach was sentenced to eight life sentences and Marcel was sentenced to seven life sentences. And I, I do think that Marcel didn't necessarily deserve that harsher sentence because she's a victim of a mother. I don't know. I mean, just because she feels guilty about it doesn't mean she doesn't deserve... Some form of punishment, absolutely. Mm. I, I, it's, uh, but I do understand she was approached for plea agreement multiple times. She didn't take it. She only told the truth at the last minute. No, I get it. Yeah. I, there absolutely has to be some element of punishment here, absolutely. But I just can't help... Hand, yeah. I can't help but thinking that the the children even though they've committed some fucking heinous crimes, mm. are also victims as well. Yeah. yeah not in the same not in the same sense. No, but, but but yeah, they've been coerced into doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So Rhea changed her name and moved away and she said that she lost everything because yeah. of these murders. She said that Rhea Grunwald is dead mm. and she totally removed herself from a previous life. She doesn't even have contact with her children. Really? That's yeah, she's awful like she's just dipped out of everything. She's probably too scared to have contact with her children. But I think the moral of this story mm. is how easy it is for these kind of things to escalate. Oh, definitely. It's kind of like this prison of belief. Like yeah. they all want to believe. They wanted to, like Rhea wanted to believe in the in this kind of notion that she had about satanic cults. Mm. Mm. And she found Cecilia, who yeah. reinforced that belief. And it's that prison, right, of belief mm. and losing your ability to critically think that enabled this entire thing, as well as fucking police incompetence. Yeah, absolutely. Police incompetence, absolutely. I mean, that's horrendous. I'm, re- I'm really interested to see what happens at the end of that, like mm. once they've con- concluded that investigation into. Because that's the thing that's baffling. There was all of this evidence back then that connected these people. There was yeah. nothing there that was like, oh my God, this is a smoking gun. But no. if they had continued an investigation, they would something would have happened. Absolutely. Someone would, someone yeah. would have cracked and the, the subsequent murders would have been prevented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that's so infuriating. It, it really is. And I mean, like, just it just goes to show like that basically Cecilia preyed on people's... Um, fears like absolutely their fears of of uh, you know demons absolutely which a lot of you know devout christians do believe in exactly but this is the thing okay and i have i do have massive sympathy for ria because this is you know it's horrifying Mm. but it is that backdrop of like kind of almost fundamentalist christianity yeah i mean the devil is real like I me- satan is yeah. there like i mentioned last week about how i watched that show midnight mass you remember yeah. about how things that are so obviously obviously not a sign yeah. from god yeah but people want want that sign they want that absolutely they have that fear of you know things of demons and they they you know want god they want to see god in everything you know absolutely it's it's yeah and that's the thing they make such a big deal out of this case because they call it you know the kruger stalk killings oh my god they're satanic but like these were these were christian mm. Mm. this is these were christian groups yeah more than anything else yeah and it was their belief in in like satanic panic bullshit yeah that enabled cecilia stein yeah 
Anyway, that's the story. That was that's a wild ride. Absolutely wild ride. So so just to confirm, Cecilia was arrested for um racketeering. Yeah, well, yes, it's, and and also but connected to the murders as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, um, that that was a truly wild ride. <sighs> Bonkers, that right? That was absolutely bonkers. But I find stuff like that so interesting for the psychological element of like cults and yeah. like it really like I said like I don't know what everything that I like keep talking about recently is like about satanic panic and like mass hysteria. But it really is part of that, and it's also like it's like the psychology of the area at the time as well. It's mm-hmm. like almost wanted to believe, you know, those original murders were like they were dubbed the satanic murders, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And then this becomes part of this bigger thing, and it's like it's not satanism it's just fucking narcissists it's just narcissistic fucking people i i i like talking of mass hysteria it's like next week for like halloween i i want to do an episode on the salem witch trials which is Mm -hmm. the fucking cornerstone of mass hysteria and i find it so interesting how one person like you know saying something and then people's fear leads into a massive like snowball effect like like this fear case. and sexism well yeah that fear and sexism in the same witch trials but i mean for misogyny. like yeah, misogyny uh, but like for this case like yeah the th- that that ultimate fear of you know i guess demons and evil yeah that snowballed into 11 people being murdered like well and but also you know it's also greed and all that kind yeah. of stuff as well but it's like yeah the original bit is like cecilia yeah. was enabled she was enabled to find all these people mm. that she could prey on because they truly believed that i i think at the beginning they truly believed that they were helping her yeah. right yeah, they were absolutely. like there's this woman she's she's escaped from the church of the satanic church yeah. we're gonna help her we have to help her yeah and she just manipulated all of them yeah. and then just like twisted and turned their minds until there's just nothing left mm. it's absolutely a wild wild it case is, wild. is it time to take a break i think it is time to take a break it is or more like it's time for chat it's fate oh nice we is, love chat it's i fate. love chat it's fate so much True. so this week's edition of take a break is a story by a woman named alison archer lazaga archer lazaga archer lazaga anyway yeah so 45 from croydon and the um title of this story is called what's afoot colon bless my soul what's a what what's afoot oh oh okay like i not not like what's afoot like what's like what is a foot more like what's the foot like what's yeah, going on yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like okay i felt like i was on fucking jeopardy now, what are frogs <laughs> now alison refers to herself as a psychic foot reader okay nice love so that. the article it's starts. almost like palmistry though isn't it like almost, people believe yeah, in palmistry yeah. so. so she says a spine tinkling chill crept through my veins and the atmosphere in my bedroom turned from cheery to eerie i could feel a presence moving behind me and whatever it was i knew it wasn't alive i bet i was 16 and although i'd known there were spirits in my family home it was the first time i'd felt one so close i was with a friend and we were messing around with the spirit board oh red flag has she not seen the exorcist (laughs) i mean you don't be messing around with a ouija board Anyway, so they say, spirits of your present, come and join us. One of them accepted and told them their name was White Feather and he was a Native American shaman. So it was the start (laughs) of a life-changing adventure with her spirit guide, White Feather. 
Right. And before long, with White Feather's assistance, she was channeling messages from all kinds of spiritual beings. Oh, it from, was Ashtar in there. From I don't know who that is. From angels, goddesses, and fairies, spirit animals, and aliens, of course. Yeah, I guarantee fucking Ashtar is in there Not somewhere. aliens, because aliens is offensive. Oh, yeah, it's extraterrestrials, now. Yeah. Demi Levi. Alison used to ref- people used to refer to Alison as being away with the fairies, and she really was. She never told her parents the truth, though. So, um, wait, her parents were well into power. No, her parents she weren't. Was... She was like, oh, I didn't tell right, her she didn't want to tell that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm guessing it, her parents. How old is she? I don't know. She's 45 she when she's telling this story, but I'm guessing she was 60. She, she was 16. What's her first name? Alison. Alison. So, as the years passed, she drew interested in reflexology, right? And during her training, she discovered the powerful connection between our feet and our emotions. Okay. And the accuracy of the foot readings, or solastry, as it's also known, is phenomenal. Jane, she's from Australia, isn't she? I don't know. She says she's from Croydon. Oh, really? In chat, it's fate. Anyway, carrying Alison, on. Alison, do you know what? I'm starting to think that they're fucking making up stories, you know? Why? I found an Alison Archer Lizaga who's in Australia, who is a Reiki master and a shaman. Uh, it's probably the same woman. I know, right? Shame from fucking Croydon. Maybe she moved. So the accuracy of fit readings is phenomenal, and by combining her her psychic gift and reflexology skills she found she could tell a lot about people's lives personalities and backgrounds she even she even began hosting regular foot reading parties where she'd pick everything up from work problems to unsolved past life issues and missing gallbladders oh nice she even predicted someone's pregnancy before they even knew it love that for her she knows where the ladies are menstruating by the size of their ankles she can uh, tell everything from the appearance of the health of the skin to the way that you cut your nails your shape of your feet and nail varnish jesus well you know she now teaches people from all over the world her skill of foot foot psychicness mm-hmm. um and she still hosts her foot reading parties every now and again and in many ways it's a lot like tarot reading she simply reads what she sees like the images on a card and she uses her intuition spirit guides and knowledge to gain an insight into people who are into who people are and what they're feeling although it might not be popular as other psychic tools like astrology palmistry and tarot it's an absolutely fascinating area to explore it's amazing how much our souls reveal about our souls absolute bollocks yeah absolutely <laughs> bullshit imagine like... imagine if you knew somebody you were like oh yeah oh what was someone's like oh what's alison up to i haven't seen her in ages oh she's just reading feet don't imagine like you, you went on a date with her and you're like oh hi alison so what do you do for a living oh i read people's feet psychically i'd be like Christ see almighty. you later i'll buy these drinks but i'm just... going like, you know, just like digging in between the corns to read your Absolutely. future. Absolutely. Pop the corn and feed the children, honey. You know, <laughs> like, no. Just, what's the, oh, she had toe scum, which means that she's going on an oh adventure. My it's bullshit. God. Sorry, Alison. I, I, I apologise for, you know, dismissing your career choice. I don't but... apologise. Alison needs to question her career choice. <laughs> well, maybe she do, can speak do to you what, her whatever. Guide. Whatever fights your bite, but I do feel like um, a lot, a lot, a lot of these people are snake oil salesmen mm-hmm. who are just there to get your money. Don't. It's like my mum follows, you know, Sally Morgan. 
Who's Sally Morgan? You don't know Sally Morgan? Is she like a famous psychic? She's a famous psychic. Oh my god. Right. My mum loves Sally Morgan. She follows. Why? Because my mum loves I love her, but... it. Sally Morgan is a British television and stage artist and author who claims to have psychic abilities. She has received considerable criticism over these claims. Yeah. Um, my mum loves all that stuff. My mum used to watch Crossing Over with John Edward. Oh. What was the God. other one? There was that other guy that was on After It on Living. I can't remember. But she loves all that. Anyway. So she she made a point the other day and I was like, do you know what? Like, you've actually... Can't, you do have a point, right? So Sally... Unfortunately, Sally Morgan's husband passed away recently. Quiet. And my mum's like, she's like, Sally's like really devastated. She's like, I miss him so much. And my mum's like, well, if she can speak to the dead, how come she can't speak to him? <sighs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, like, it's a good question. Like, I'm not being funny. You know, I, yeah, it's a good question. She'd obviously still be sad that he's died and no longer living. But if she's like, can speak to the dead, why can't she speak to her husband? Well, exactly. And it's also, you know, it, it's interesting that she has also declined multiple um, events to, like, test her psychic abilities. And they all do this as well. They're all like, oh, my God, yes, I'm a psychic. I can talk to blah, blah, blah. And then when somebody goes, OK, great, I'm going to give you £20,000 if you can do this, like, this blah, blah, blah thing. And they're, they're, you know, they're prepared to, like, you know, agree what, mm. what the test will be. It's suited to their skill set yeah. as a psychic. Yeah. They never fucking do it. Well, they do. They don't need to prove it, do they? They've got the, they've oh. got the spirit with them. If I, I tell you what, if I was a fucking psychic and somebody was like, I'll give you 20 grand to prove it, I'd be like, fuck yeah, because I'm a psychic. Yeah, but the point of that is that being a psychic isn't fucking real, which is why they don't <laughs> do it. Let's be it's honest. True. I've got friends who are into this kind of stuff, and I'm I'm usually like, you know, if they if everything's kind of done above board in terms of practices, I ain't got a problem with people believing. You mm. know, believe what you want to believe, yeah. as long as it don't, you know, harm. Oh, <sighs> I mean, I've been to my. Because you never fucking know. One of these psychics could turn into be like the next Cecilia fucking Stein. They could do the cult of belief. But like the thing is, I've like been to a psychic night and I've had a psychic reading and stuff. Oh, I bet you have. Um, and there are there are things that, but then there are things that are like, how would they know that? Like what? Like for example, when my mum went to a, went to a reading, basically my mum's friend died when she were, when they were like. Did in... you, all I'll say is, did she book it in advance? No. Right. It was a psychic night she went okay. to. Right. And my mum is very clever. She always gives a fake name. Right. My mum always gives a fake name, okay. and she doesn't tell the address or anything. Um, yeah. Anyway, so this was at a psychic night. My mum went and spoke to a psychic, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. my mum's friend died when they were younger. She mm-hmm. and one, when she one night she went to visit her grave, right? Right. It was just my mum and her partner, just those two, right? Okay. And it was pitch black, and my mum fell down a hole in the floor. I don't mean she fell into a grave. <laughs> I'm just envisioning your mum falling into a fucking open grave. But this, no, no, this was this Happy was, Halloween, everyone. <laughs> this was my '90s mum, so she had like a perm and oh, she was wearing that. like ski pants. You know the, the whole look, that shell suit, shell suit, the whole look. So my mum, she fell, she fell down this tiny little hole, right? And the psychic said to me, she goes, "I, I can see you falling down a hole in a graveyard." How would she have known that? Those were her words. 
I... Are you sure your mum ain't spinning you a pack of lies? No, because I've listened to the tape. They used to record it on tape. Tape? Yeah. It was the 90s. I, they oh, used to record There must it have been tape. a thing. She must have said something at some point and somebody yeah. over, overheard it. She was gabbing to a mate, being like, oh, do you remember that? Last night I fell down a bloody hole. And then the psychic's like, hmm, oh. did you fall down a hole? Well, I don't know. There are certain things that psychics know. I am not 100%. I fucking hope that psychics are a real thing because that that basically confirms, like, eternal life. And that, that is eternal life. Are you all right over there, rustling? Sorry, I was putting something in my bin. I forgot we were recording. I thought we were just chatting. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, Yeah, I, like, I have this whole thing about the afterlife. I'm like, God, I hope it's real. I really hope it's real. I don't want to die. But then, I've got too much life. Don't die where there's still life inside of you. That's like saying, I'll sleep when I'm dead. But you don't know that TikTok? No. It's like, don't die where there's life still inside of you. It's too, like, oh, I can't even die. I fucked it up. You did. You did. <laughs> so on that note, on that very professional and amazing note, we shall bid you all adieu. Bye. Bye. Oh, my God. Good Lord. <laughs>